0: So we're looking to partner with community agencies and other places like that where people actually present for services. And and we think it's a good thing for the people who who, uh, will be relying upon us.
1: Looking at uh, the list of some of the offices, uh, uh, the Redford office, Glendale, Trumbull uh, here in Wayne County, uh, but also in uh, some of the rural parts of Michigan where uh, maybe it isn't uh, as easy for folks to, uh, they may have to travel longer distances to uh, to obtain health care, uh, the uh, Montmorency office, Isle uh, County, uh, and uh, Alger as well. Um, you you want to make sure that you get uh, uh, your people to those areas uh, where... Uh, uh, where they can best serve the people. and toward that end, as I understand it, uh, there are not going to be any layoffs as part of this move.
0: That's correct. This doesn't affect the staffing at all. Uh, this is, this is in, in those rural places especially we have community action agencies that and other potential facilities, you know behavioral health entities in, in places that uh, the workers can be located. So this is certainly about you know getting our people there. It has there is no staffing reductions or staffing layoffs associated with this whatsoever.
1: Now, the Department of Community Health uh, is part of the new state health and human services department. Uh, how's that transition going, and has it made it easier or harder to serve clients?
0: No, it, it's, it's making it easier. We've already seen synergies, especially with behavioral health and our children's services agencies. As you can imagine, children who are in a situation where they're potentially abused or neglected, or children who need services in some sort of way, many times there's a behavioral health issue that can come into play. And that's just one example where Uh, this consolidation helps us align those services.
1: It's been a year now, I think, uh, since the state expanded Medicaid to to thousands of people, uh, meaning that uh, more people in Michigan have health insurance who didn't have it before. What effect has that had overall on uh, healthcare costs and service in Michigan? Or is it too early to know that yet?
0: Well, it's 599,175 people on the Healthy Michigan Plan, and it's been a great success story, both from an implementation perspective and from a coverage perspective. These are people who did not qualify for health insurance you know, just 13 months ago. And at this point, it's, it's completely federally funded. So um, from a state budgetary perspective, uh, we have not seen any impact, um, and, and certainly we're seeing some some results with the hospitals in, in and in a reduction in uncompensated care, but it's too too early to tell how that's going to play out in the long term.
1: Especially since we don't know what changes, if any, may be coming to the uh, Affordable Care Act, uh, which uh, you know made uh, made that expansion uh, uh, possible, I suppose, or or necessary, depending upon your point of view. Um, and you mentioned that it is federally funded at this point, uh, but uh, that's that's for a few years. Um, what uh, What's the long-term solution for sustaining that funding so that uh, people can uh, uh, maintain that uh, insurance, uh, that Medicaid coverage, years from now?
0: Well, the statute at the federal level increases the state share to 10% um, over several years. So that's the baseline that we're looking at at this point. I think it's a great investment for our state to continue to uh, provide this coverage and provide health care. It provides a stable source for um, for these, It provides a stable source of revenue for the hospitals and, and also make, ensures that we have better primary care. Uh, and that will really lead to better access and it leads to better outcomes if people can have access to primary care rather than seeking services in an emergency room or a hospital.
1: What's the top health care issue facing Michigan right now?
0: I think um, certainly over the last years has been immunizations. Um, you know, we want to see increased compliance with immunizations. That's been very important. And we continue to really assess how chronic disease uh, affects um, the health of our population as a whole and, and, and the costs it, it bears on the healthcare system. And we got to get ahead of that. We have to do a better job getting out in front, and ensuring that people are healthier, and eating better and moving around more.
1: As far as immunizations, I think uh, it's uh, something over 90% compliance uh, right now. Uh, the, by and large, most uh, parents do get their children immunized. You have uh, fewer people who are opting out for uh, uh, religious or other health reasons, uh, and uh, uh, it sounds like you're, you're making progress uh, on both of those numbers.
0: I think so, we implemented a rule change with the assistance of uh, the legislature and I think it's had a positive impact. We've also aligned when those immunizations occur with certain grade levels that make it easier for the parents and schools to comply.
1: There's a lot of uh, misinformation about uh, vaccines uh, out there, uh, things that uh, people might think that uh, don't really have a lot of grounding uh, in science. How do, you, how do you reach those folks and, and reassure them that uh, for the most part, you know, except in those cases where kids can't be immunized for medical reasons, how do you convince uh, parents that, you know, this is generally the right thing to do for them?
0: We just continue to, to state the facts. We continue our education of uh, parents who are considering not immunizing their children, and we work with the primary care providers to ensure that they're giving them the information they need. And we've also reached out to the public health departments, and um, they're now providing education as well.